0: Well, good morning. I know you guys had choices to come today, but I'm glad you're here. Let's do this if we can. First of all, let's just uh, thank God for what he's about to do. Amen. So we put your hand over your heart. Everybody, we're going to say, God, speak to me. Though we're not here for ourselves, I know, Lord God, that you have things planned for people in this room that are way bigger than any of us could ever plan. I ask now in Jesus' name, speak to us. We're here for you, Lord God, not for ourselves. And I ask now in Jesus' name from every person here, we say, God, we're open. Speak in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a high honor for me to be here today. Thank you so much for coming. And I also thank God for uh, Nick and Marseille. These two folks are incredible people of God, and there are certain people, if you're around them, you rub off and you're better for it, these two guys are those people. I've known them for about 20 years, and they're they're girls, Grace and Hope, I'm so glad that they're here too as well, but I want to just take a few moments and just say thank God for your heart to say yes to his voice, even at this moment, to come to North Central to be part of what God's doing here. I have a sister and a brother, both graduated from North Central years ago, they're both in full-time ministry, One's a missionary on a... Group called Mercy Ships that uh, goes to Africa and helps people. Another one's a Kai Alpha pastor in uh, North Carolina. But I really believe that this day is an important day. When uh, Nick asked me several months ago to be here today, I felt like God said, "Hey, you know, there's somebody here today who needs to hear and be challenged again in their own walk with God." You're gonna have some great speakers in next couple of days. I'm not a great speaker, but I believe we have a great God. Amen. So let's do a couple things if we can. Take out your Bible or your phone, your tablet, and look at one of the most difficult verses of Scripture you'll ever read, one of the most challenging verses of Scripture. I want to talk about what matters most. And today, instead of preaching to you, I just want to have a conversation with you, okay? I want to have a conversation about eternity and our part in eternity, what you can do and what I can do in eternity, whoever you are, whatever major you may have. So this verse has gripped me all my life. Since I was a kid, it's gripped me. And the older I get, it becomes more and more powerful to me. It comes in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Solomon's writing Ecclesiastes, the first part of that chapter, everyone knows, right? There's a time for everything, a time to weep and a time to rejoice, a time to live, a time to die. And then out of nowhere, this verse that you can't run from, you know, certain verses in scripture, you can sort of pass over the genealogies, right? You pass over real quick, right? But there are certain verses you just run, you can't run from. This is one of those verses. And my prayer is today, whoever you are, whatever background you may be, professor or student or just a person attending today, that God in his grace would speak to our hearts because this is a verse I don't think you can run from, even though you can try. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its time. He has planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. That verse is that verse for me. It just grabs me. God has placed eternity in everyone's heart you ever meet. Every person here in this room, somehow God has placed eternity to there. The word there for eternity is a Hebrew word that can mean three different things. It means darkness, it means future, and it means eternity. You say, Pastor, what does that verse mean then? How in the world am I supposed to Navigate that verse. Why is it so powerful to you? Because I know that every person on this planet has eternity in their hearts. Everybody. People in in Minneapolis here do. People all over the world do. People that are on the street who are without Jesus have eternity in their hearts. That's why they try to fill up something else instead of Jesus to find something that will satisfy that longing in them. There are people here in this room right now who have eternity in their hearts and are running from that eternity. He said, Pastor, how am I running for an eternity? I'm in a a Christian college. Well, I grew up in a Christian college too as well. And I know some of the stuff that happens and some of the struggles and some of the strife and some of the things that go on. But I believe that God in his grace and his mercy is speaking to people here in this morning and saying, what about you? Since I put eternity in your heart, do you understand it? Do you grab hold of it? I like the part where it says, even so, People cannot see the whole scope of it, what God has done. I don't think very much about time anymore because time's fleeting. It goes very fast. I think of an awful lot about eternity. I think about what's going to happen. I think about what lives that you see on the road or that you see around the world. People in unreached areas like the Antioch Society is talking about. People in all parts of the world that Ed and Kim will talk about. But what about you? And what about me? What things in my life have become so gripping that all I think about is now and me and my stuff and I think nothing about eternity that God's placed in my heart? When I see people in our world who are hurting, who are grieving, it saddens me to no end because I think about eternities in their heart too. What do they do with it? Rick Warren said, when you live in the light of eternity, your values have to change. Something has to be different in you. And it doesn't matter whether or not you're a a ministry major or a missions major. Every person here has the same eternity that God planted in your heart. And every person on this planet has that eternity. They'll try to fill up something else that matters in themselves. But only God's grace can fill that void. So what are you going to do about the eternity that God put in your heart? And how will you change it? There's a video I saw some time ago. I want to show you right now. It's called The State of the World. It might challenge you like it challenged me.
1: Jesus told us 2,000 years ago that our mission is to go and make disciples of all nations. He also promised us that only after we accomplish that task will we receive the blessing of his return. So, how are we doing accomplishing our mission? To answer that, Let's classify the 7 billion people on the earth today into three groups. Let's start with the Christians. About 33% of the world's population would identify itself as Christian. We call this segment of the population World C, C for Christian.
0: It's important to
1: remember that not all of the people that fall into World C are true believers in Christ. They merely identify themselves as Christian because of nominal belief in Jesus, or because they live in a country where everyone is considered Christian, so they would do the same. Next, there's a 38% of the world that has access to the gospel but has chosen not to follow Jesus. They have Bibles in their language, churches nearby, friends or co-workers who are potentially Christians, or access to other Christian resources in their language. These people have access to the good news but just haven't acted on it yet. This segment of the population is called World B. That leaves us with 29% of the world Just over one out of every four people on this planet who not only have never heard of Jesus, they have no chance of hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. They have no access to the gospel, no Bibles, no churches, no believers nearby, no chance to learn about Jesus. We call that 29% World A. Now, on to missionaries. Only one out of every 1,800 Christians in World C decides to serve as a cross-cultural missionary. So... We can pull 400,000 missionaries out of that World C population. That's our total cross-cultural missionary force worldwide. Did you know that 72% of all our missionaries are going to World C? That's right. The vast majority of the missionaries being sent out are going to the people of the world that have Bibles and established churches. 25% of the missionaries are sent to World B, where there is already some access to the church and to the Bible. That leaves only 3% of the total missionary force to handle all of World A, the section of the population without any chance of hearing about Jesus. 29% of the world has no way to hear the gospel, but we're sending only a tiny portion of our Christian workers to them. What about finances? Annually, all those Christians in World C earn a total of $42 trillion, and together they give about $700 billion to Christian causes each year. That includes everything. Christian nonprofits, churches, youth programs, missions, etc. Can you do the math? Less than 2% of Christian income is being given to Christ's causes. Out of that $700 billion given to all Christian causes, only $45 billion is given to missions specifically. That's a little over 6%. In fact, there is more money reported in embezzled from the church each year than is given to missions. Remember those 400,000 missionaries? We have $45 billion to support them and their cross-cultural work. But how exactly is it allocated? Well, $39 billion goes to World C every year. 87% of that mission's money is being spent in areas of the world that have Bibles and churches available. 5.4 billion, or 12%, goes to World B each year. Those that have access to the Gospel message but have rejected it. That leaves only $450 million or 1% of all missions' money going to World A, the least rich people of the world. To put that into perspective, annually Americans spend more money on Halloween costumes for their pets than get sent to World A. To summarize, only 3% of our missionary force, armed with only 1% of missions giving, is going out to reach the 2 billion people who don't have access to the gospel. Two billion people are still waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you going to do to change
0: that? If eternity is in their hearts, the A, B, and C groups, and they have as much right to Jesus as you do, what are we doing about it? He said, Pastor, are you after my money? I could care less about your money. After my time, I could care less about your time. I'm after your heart. Because where heart is, everything will change. Yep. You you've quoted today. The uh, worship team did a great job. This is Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. We call it the Great Commission. Lauren Triplett, a great missionary in his own right, went to be the Lord this past year, says, being involved in the Great Commission is not only a matter of obedience to God's plan, it is also obedience to the holy idea of justice. Why should we have the joy of salvation, its benefits, and not care that millions do not have it? I live outside of Washington, D.C. A lot of our folks are involved in government work. A lot of our people, because we have such a mixed congregation, understand about injustice a lot. Racial injustice and equality. A lot of stuff right now going on with immigration and, and that, how that affects our people. But justice ultimately comes down to the fact it's not just that you and I sit here and just sort of take in all the good stuff and never give that out to other people who also have eternity in their hearts. That's not just. There is injustice in our world and we see it. We want to tweet about it. We want to get online and do some kind of social media and say, Can't believe that happened. What are you going to do about it? What will you do to change eternity in someone's heart who's hurting, who've been abused? who've been neglected, who've never been reached for Christ, what are you going to do? say, Pastor, I'm just a college student. I'm just trying to pay my college bills and get through class. That's the wrong attitude because God has placed eternity in your heart, not just a degree in your heart. God's placed eternity there. What will you do? Justice demands that you and I look at the world through eternity's eyes. Ironside said this, that God has given us time to use in view of eternity, in view of eternity. That's why God gives us days and moments. So what is not in that Great Commission, we know about the Great Commission, what's in it, but what's not in it? What's not in it is no small print for missionaries and pastors only. It doesn't say this is only for ministerial students or pastoral students. It's just for anybody. God says anyone, everyone has eternity in their heart and everyone has to fulfill the commission. There is no exception for those who choose another vocation or avocation. Business people have eternity in their hearts as much as anyone else. God's no respecter of person when it comes to that. And this conversation really is, I believe, also for business folks here who God's been using great, great ways. But maybe God's calling you for more. There is no exception to those who choose that. And also there is no safe place within his great commission. Our friend Dick Brogdon, who's here not too long ago, A good friend says we must reconcile ourselves to the reality that to follow Jesus means that we, too, must speak out against evil and be hated and be thought demonic and be polarizing. Any other expectation is wayward. Gallup did a survey recently, and I thought it was this apropos for for the students here, about uh, do people like their job? And the the survey from Gallup came back. This is only 13% of the people in this country like their job. 13%. They they love getting up to work every day. And they say, man, this is great. I can't wait to get there. So if you're thinking that somehow your job's going to fulfill you, if you're 13% of that, it might happen. If I make more money, it will fulfill me. They say 64% of America, 64% hate their job. They just tolerate it. They call them sleepwalkers. They just sleepwalk through existence. They pay the bills. They get stuff done. And it's interesting. They asked that 64%. How would you go about making it so that your job was more enjoyable? He said, if my job mattered, I would enjoy it more. Interesting, isn't it? So you and I have in place before us eternity that's in all of us. You can't get it out of you. It's in you. And God says, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to sleepwalk through your life, especially now that you're responsible because you know. I have a friend that you guys have heard about too as well, and I heard this story. I've known him for a long, long time. Went to school with him at at Central Bible College when he existed years and years ago and uh, didn't know his story until recently, but he had it all planned out. He was a great guy, loved God, and he said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to become a lawyer, make a lot of money, and he also felt this tug of God in his life, and the girl he was dating at that time really had a call in the ministry, at that time. And uh, interesting story, he went to law school. He was studying law and he was sitting in a large amphitheater type of setting for his school class, for that law class. And a guy walks in and starts talking and starts talking like scripture. And it was sort of weird because my friend was a believer already, but really had it all planned. I'm going to go, I'll be a law professor or I'll, I'll be a, a lawyer of some sort, make a lot of money and give a lot of money to missions and all that kind of stuff. And then they realized this guy was in the wrong class. The professor was in the wrong class. And some of the students said, Professor, I'm sorry, this is a law class. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a theology teacher. And on, on a whim, the guy walking out the door said, oh, by the way, come and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And my friend felt convicted by God, got up out of that law class, left, Became a theology major, finished that. Now he pastors a wonderful church called James River Church in Springfield, Missouri. About 10,000 people. Come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. His plan changed because all of a sudden God says, there's eternity in there. What are you going to do about it? C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes, said that in a moral sphere, every act of justice or charity involves putting ourselves in the other person's place and thus transcending our own life. When you and I invest and give ourselves towards eternity, it can be finances, absolutely. It can be prayer, absolutely. It can be involved in Antioch, absolutely. by Praying and getting and going and sharing and being part of that. But it's got to be somehow. The end result must be eternity has changed. In me, And in other people that I look at and say, I'm going to pass by people who are hurting and say, oh, hey, listen, have a nice eternity. You can't do that anymore. You see why this verse gets me? Because somehow I and you are responsible to say, God, you've called me. Maybe not to be a pastor. In our church, I tell people all the time, I'm as much called by God as anybody in our church whether they are a pastor or a missionary, everyone has a call of God in their life because everyone has eternity in their hearts. What we do with it changes everything. And what we do with it changes eternity for people around the world and here in this country too as well. I like C.S. Lewis' statement about that incredible statement about God's grace and his mercy and what he wants us to do. But I also like the fact that God has a perspective on this. And uh, because of time's sake, I'm going to jump down a little bit too if I can and go to something else real quickly. John Piper, of course, who lives right up the street here, says, go, send, or disobey. But uh, Oswald Chambers makes a statement that I thought so pertinent to you guys today. And he said this, the quote's a long quote, but it's worth reading. I want to tell you about a growing conviction with me. That is, as we obey the leadings of the Spirit of God, we enable God to answer the prayers of other people. I mean that our lives, my life, your life, is the answer to someone's prayer, perhaps prayed centuries ago. It is more and more impossible to me to have programs and plans because God alone has the plan, and our plans are only apt to hinder him and make it necessary for him to break them up. I have the unspeakable knowledge that my life is the answer to prayers, that God is blessing me and making me a blessing entirely, entirely of his own sovereign grace and nothing to do with my merits. Saving that I'm bold enough to trust him, his leading, and not dictates of my own wisdom and common sense. I love the fact that somehow everyone in this room, I believe, God has already placed eternity there. But also people are praying to say, will you answer this? Will you answer the call of God in your life? Maybe it is to missions. Maybe it is to pastoral ministry. Maybe it's to be the incredible person who loves God so much to say, God, now, not when I'm done with school, but now... I'm going to change eternity. I'm going to make a difference. I had a phone call several years ago from a gal I never met before. Her name was Madhvi. She lives right up the road from our church. And uh, she called me. She said, are you the pastor? I said, yeah. And she had a very heavy Indian accent. And she said, I want to talk to you. I said, what about? She said, well, here's my story. And come to find out that she had she's Hindu. And up up the road from our church, she had an apartment and was filled with Hindu gods. Her and her family were Hindu, and our church is a very diverse area, but I didn't know anyone had that many Hindu gods in their apartment. So she said to me, she said, Pastor, I want you to know what happened to me. I said, what happened? She said, "Uh, I've had four or five miscarriages, and I've prayed to all my gods, and nothing's happened. In fact, I have these children. I carry them for a while, and I lose these kids. And I'm just devastated. She said, Last night, Jesus appeared to me in a dream. And I said, What did Jesus say? And she said, Jesus said, It's me, okay. Follow me. So she's, I'm calling you. What do I do next? Now, I did nothing with that. That was not my doing. That was all God. But you see, eternity was in Madhvi's heart. So long story short, she came, she gave her life to Jesus. I felt so convicted to do this, I made her a receptionist the next week. She, she couldn't talk English at all, couldn't speak English whatsoever, but she was our receptionist for like a year and a half. She just walked through it, you know, it was fantastic, because I wanted her there with us. And then after about a year and a half, growing in the Lord, loving Jesus, great, great, sweet presence of God, she said, Pastor, will you pray for me that I can have kids? Well, it's one thing to get a person saved, another person to pray for miracles like that, right? And so we prayed, and sure enough, God did incredible work, but four months into it, she had some major complications. So then here he's saying, God, wait, wait, how can this be you, God? You know, she called out to you. She came to our church. She's a believer in Christ now. All she's asked for is a baby. It's all she's asked for. And so for five months, she's bedridden, in the hospital, cannot leave, cannot get up. She's a tiny little girl, but... Through those five months, she gained a lot of weight, a lot of water weight, and so she became very much bloated. But her nurses told me that every time the nurses would come in, she'd witness them about Jesus. Every time. She was a Hindu who had eternity in her heart. That God said, I care about you. And all I was was part of the tool to the answers of her prayer. Long story short, she had a beautiful baby her name is Megha. She's, she's older now. She's a, almost a teenager now, doing great. A few years later, she, the Maadvi came to me and said, Pastor, can you pray for me one more time? I said, once is enough. We're going to pray. But we prayed. Now she's a little boy too as well. And you think about, okay, God, what about if at that moment she would have called the pastor somewhere and the pastor didn't have time? Like you sometimes don't have time. Because everything takes more importance than eternity, doesn't it? Jesus told a story about eternity, and he says this. This is out of the Gospel of Luke. And he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile f- farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear them down, build bigger barns. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then you will get everything you work for. A person, verse 21, is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. The Great Commission, Stephen Moore says, is too big for anyone to accomplish alone, and it's too important not to try to do it together. And that's exactly what every student here, every faculty member here, every person who's part of this community, we're in this together, because eternity is in all of our hearts. So, what's your plan? Since eternity is in your heart, what's your plan? How are you going to change it? How are you going to change your plan for what you need to be willing to do to make that happen? Dick says this the fellowship of our Lord's sufferings demands participation, not empathetic observation. I can see pictures all day long of kids starving somewhere, or I can do something about it. I can hear about a just injustice in our country or I can do something about it. I can hear about eternity, or I can do something about it. I want you to stand with me, would you please for a moment? I'm gonna do something a little different if I can, but I want you guys to join hands, okay? At our church, we start every service this way, every service, in fact, cross the aisles. There are no aisles in heaven, I want you to know that, so just cross the aisles too, okay? When you get there, you understand what I mean. There's no aisles in heaven, okay? So it's very possible you sat with friends today so you know the person next to you. If you don't know the person, who they are, ask them who they are. You know who, you know who they are? Just ask them who they are, not anything else, okay? Okay, since you know them now, Look at them on your one side and the other side, okay? What are you going to do about eternity? Ask them that question. I always marvel that God somehow blessed you and I enough to be in a place like this that you can hear the word of God constantly. You have people who love and care for you and yet most of the world have never ever heard it one time and yet eternity is in their heart like it's in my heart. But you can be the answer to someone's prayer in the giving, in the sending, in the going. But you can't look at eternity the same now. I pray that that verse just burns in your life the rest of your life, like it does in me. I spend an awful lot of time thinking about eternity now. And so must you. You close your eyes. So hands still joined, okay? You ask the person next to you, what are you going to do about eternity? How are you going to change it? If God's speaking to you right now, maybe like my friend John, who heard a professor in the wrong place at the wrong time say, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men, maybe God's speaking to you right now. But it's really, really a good thing to do things together, not by yourself. So if God's speaking to your life right now about changing eternity in your own life and in the lives of others by saying yes to his voice, just squeeze the hand of the person next to you. Squeeze real hard. If he's not speaking to you, fine. No worries. But squeeze it hard. If someone squeeze your hand, raise your hand right now, would you please? Raise it together. If someone squeeze your hand and raise it, you come and come with me right now and pray for you. Come on, everybody. Everybody. Whether you squeeze your hand or someone squeeze it with you, you come. There's something really cool to understand that eternity and the great commission go hand in hand. So no one here somehow is like more special than anyone else with God. All of us have eternity in our hearts and all of us have to do something about it. So the question is what? What? you sang saying this song this morning, Lord, I'm willing to send me whatever you have to do, but God, I, I want to just pray it this way if I can. Lord, change me. Come on, scoot a little closer if I can. These are important moments. These are moments that can change eternity. I know you have to get to the class here in a second, but I want to pray with you if I can. And let this God do what he wants to do, okay? Would you guys just simply, if you can, just put your hands in front of you like you're receiving a gift, just like you're about to get something, okay? Lord, I thank you so much for your grace that is evident in this room. I thank you, Lord God, for the grace and the mercy that you bestow upon us, that you would put eternity in our hearts. We're not somebody, Lord God, you don't care about. You're somebody we, we care, Lord God, so much about what you think about all things, but especially about eternity. And maybe people in this room right now, here at the front, and those who are still standing, need to ask you, Lord God, what is it that you want me to do? God, I receive it from you, and my hand's outlifted right now. I'm saying, Lord God, whatever you want me to do, put it on me right now. Whatever task you have, maybe it's personal, maybe it's just a willingness to say, God, I'll do it. I'll surrender I'll give up my own plans so that I can be the answer to someone else's prayers. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would, Lord, emblazon the incredible love of God through the eyes of eternity on everyone here. I pray you bless them with an understanding and a hope, but I also pray in Jesus' name that you'll change them from the inside out. And since I'm no one special, you pray for someone near you right now. If you want to lay hands on them, that's fine. If you want to join hands, you pray for them. That's your benediction when you need to go. You pray for them right now, okay?